Welcome, beautiful people, to the Brews and Brews podcast, your one-stop Magic the Gathering podcast for all your commander and EDH needs. Today, for our premiere in your girl episode, I'm so excited, we are going to be talking about the brand new Universes Beyond set, The Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-earth. So let's roll that intro. I'm your host, Guy, and I just want to say a huge, huge thank you to all of you for coming to listen to me talk about two of my favourite things in the world, Magic the Gathering and Lord of the Rings. But why Bruise and Bruise as a title, I hear you ask? Well, mostly because as well as brewing my commander decks, I love to sit and talk about Magic the Gathering with a brew in hand, whether that's a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, or even as the evening draws in, feeling a little bit spicy, maybe even a cheeky beer. All of my brew options will either be locally sourced or recommended by you wonderful folks. The coffee will be supplied by the wonderful Round Hill Roastery. And today I have an Ethiopian coffee that I'm drinking that is called Butukana Bombay. And the lovely thing about Round Hill is as well as being excellent for customer service and delivery across the world, with each coffee you purchase, you get a beautifully designed postcard that tells you the origin of the coffee, the region it's made from, it gives you flavor notes, and it tells you about the farmers and the farms where your beans come from. So I definitely recommend coffee from Round Hill because it is top-notch. I always feel more at home with a brew in hand and I think that's something that a lot of the Shire folk would appreciate too. For all the latest news and episodes here from Brews and Brews HQ we have three channels you can follow us on. Our first being the main place you can pick up your episodes of the podcast at our Substack which is brewsandbrews.substack.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash at brews underscore and underscore brews. And we also have an Instagram at brews underscore and underscore brews. I will leave links in the show notes or description below for all those social channels so you can follow the latest and greatest from us here. There won't just be premium Magic the Gathering and Commander content, there will also be videos of my cat, some coffee brewing videos, potentially with some lovely ASMR, and I also want to have featured brewers across our social feeds. So if you guys have any particular coffees, teas, beers, or brewers that you love, get in touch with me and let me know. 
feel free to like, share and subscribe across all the social platforms. Any like, follow or share is hugely appreciated. It would be great if you could tell your neighbours, your friends, your aunt's cousin Bob, or even have a psychic conversation with your favoured pet. That would be ideal because any and all efforts to get on board this crazy train are massively appreciated. Anywho, now with the socials admin out of the way, let's crack on. With each episode of Brews and Brews, I'll be talking about set releases, updates, or gaming experiences within the Commander Sphere. See what I did there? And in this episode, we'll be diving right in to talk about The Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-earth. Are you quite ready for another adventure? I think I'm quite ready for another adventure. Before we get into the meat of the new Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle-earth Magic the Gathering set, being able to say those things is so bananas to me, I thought I would talk to you guys about my history with Magic the Gathering and Commander as the format we all know, love and hate in equal measure. I started collecting Magic cards when I was 13, so 22 years ago now. Wow, that's a long time. And I started collecting cards for the social aspect, swappability and for the rarity of those cards. But I did play a couple of games of what we call standard now, back then, but it's not the all-encompassing hobby it is for me now and I still don't get to play half as much as I would want to. So in the years since I started collecting, I dropped in and out of Magic a bit. I played a couple of Friday Night Magic tournaments, or FNMs, and some standard events, but it was really hard for me to get involved with the community at first because I really lacked the self-confidence to get involved. But what I've subsequently found out about the Magic community is that for the vast majority, it's a very welcoming, supportive and open place, full of diversity, full of inclusion and a wonderful place to play the game that we all know and love. Of course, there are some parts of the community which could do with a little bit more in terms of open-minded thinking. But if you're thinking about getting into Magic, I couldn't recommend it highly enough as a place to meet new people. Also during that time, I tended to find myself to be too busy, in truth and in excuse as well to a certain extent, to play consistently. And then EDH and Commander burst onto the scene. For me, I really first noticed the uptake in the format in around 2015. It was when Battle for Zendikar was the premium set in Standard and I started taking in as much content as I could because I just became obsessed with Commander as a format. So I started initially by watching streamers such as Frank Lepore and Numot the Nummy and then as more Commander specific content creators started coming through the ranks, I started watching a lot of their content. So Commander Versus, Tabletop Jocks, Quest for the Janklord, Loading Ready Run, and MTG Goldfish, to name a few. And now here we are, eight years later, and 
I find I'm still not playing quite as much as I want to. Work-wise for me, I'm a manager of a gym, I'm an online coach, a personal trainer, and a content creator. So juggling all those plates at times can make it hard to find time for magic. I also met the love of my life nine years ago and we got married 18 months ago. She shares my love of our cat, but not of Magic the Gathering, unfortunately. But I have managed to keep up with a lot of set releases where Commander is concerned and the metagame in general over that time, even though I'm not playing as much as I would want. I came into 2023 wanting to play more Magic and to be more involved in the community. So I knew I wanted to create some kind of content for it. And I've been thinking about making a podcast about Commander specifically for a long time. And my other love during these years that I've discovered, and the reason that actually gave me the kickstart to make the podcast is Lord of the Rings. J.R.R. Tolkien and subsequently Christopher Tolkien's world that they have created to me is the epitome of fantasy. It is the height of what fantasy fiction can achieve. This is a world that contains its own languages, its own etymologies, its own cartography, its own history. Yes, I'm looking at you, the Cimmerillion and its own beautiful characters and stories. I remember the first time I read Lord of the Rings as a teenager and it completely changed how I saw fiction and what the pinnacle of storytelling could be. I'm a huge fantasy fiction fan in general and I would say Lord of the Rings for me ranks in my top three books of all time. I'd say the others are American Gods by Neil Gaiman and the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. But maybe that's a discussion we can have on another podcast. I'm also a huge cinephile too. I was raised on film and TV, and I absolutely love cinema. And Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, for me personally, is the pinnacle of filmmaking, let alone epic filmmaking. the score, the cinematography, the location choices, the costumes, the casting, the world building, the execution of that trilogy, I think is perfect in a cinematic context. I still remember the first time I saw Fellowship of the Ring at the cinema in 2001. And I came out of the cinema thinking, I have just watched a piece of cinema that will forever change my life. And I had, and I'm so glad that it did. I still think there's very little in this world that can't be taught, learnt, or cured by watching Lord of the Rings. Tolkien's world has had a huge impact on popular culture whether that's through film and writing, but also music and poetry, and who knew, trading card gaming as well. But before we talk about how 
Magic the Gathering and Lord of the Rings combined specifically, I'm going to talk about universes beyond as a concept because some of you might not know what I'm talking about. So what is universes beyond exactly? Well, the idea is that Hasbro and Wizards bring in properties from outside of Magic the Gathering to expand the reach of Magic itself. So we've already seen cards and sets from Transformers, The Walking Dead, Stranger Things, the new Dungeons and Dragons movie, Street Fighter, and for Commander specifically, the Warhammer 40k product. Universes Beyond has had a somewhat frosty and rocky reception from a lot of players. I actually wasn't one of them. I wasn't that fussed. I was quite nonplussed about Universes Beyond. And I thought actually some of the cards and characters looked like really fun build-arounds for Commander decks. That was until they announced the Lord of the Rings set and all of that ambivalence just flew completely out the window. And I'll come on to that later. As a move from Hasbro and Wizards, I completely understand why they've developed Universes Beyond. To bring in new players, it's a slam dunk because of their love for these characters. And for current Magic players, it's a great way of introducing new mechanics into the gameplay and new build-arounds for decks. It seems like a complete no-brainer from a corporate perspective to do that. So, ticks and gold stars all round, in theory. So to understand the reasons I'm saying in theory, I'm going to give you a bit of corporate background. So Hasbro owns Wizards of the Coast, and Wizards of the Coast make Magic the Gathering cards. Magic the Gathering was Hasbro's first ever billion dollar grossing product. If you think about that for a second. Hasbro has licenses for a lot of different games and products. And Magic was its first billion dollar grossing product. And this was last year, 2022 to 23, if you're listening in the future. Magic was invented 30 years ago, and it's still the biggest IP. And profits across the board for Hasbro last year, 22-23, were way, way down. So they've wanted to make that investment. Now, the Warhammer 40,000 product came out and it was a huge success. It was a huge success to Commander players, the mechanics were fun, there were some really great cards and the decks were incredible. However, what Hasbro did to take it onto that corporate edge was to create massively limited printing runs, so the cards were bumped up in price, hugely difficult to get hold of, and because of the rush to get them out super quickly, there were loads of printing errors, a lot of curling of the foils, you can check out the Reddit threads to see more of the evidence of this. But it was a bit of a disaster for players to get hold of 
even though it was such a fantastic product. Do I agree with the strategy of printing cards in limited runs and sets? Definitely not. Because it alienates a lot of the new player base and creates obscene demand within the current player base that just makes the game unaffordable. Having said that, the Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle-earth product is one of the most expensive sets that's ever been released. And this, is, this kind of wars with me a little bit because I am so excited for this set. This combination of two of my favourite things, I've kind of put that to one side. Magic is a game that is about the playing of that game and about bringing people in to play the game that we all love. So as far as I'm concerned, people should be able to proxy cards and proxying cards is basically getting them printed on your own back outside of buying packs and decks or singles from Wizards. And I'm all for proxies, I'm all for it. As long as they're not kind of custom made cards that break a game, if they're proxies of current cards, I'm all for people putting them in their decks. I think it just encourages the game to be played, not to be bought. Also, this will just grow the lovely thriving community and get more people involved in it. And that's what we want. We want Magic to be an inclusive game that people from all over the world and all backgrounds can play. So in addition to Universes Beyond, we also have all the Universes Within products being launched. Those are the regular Magic products. So we have Commander sets, Commander decks, we have Standard sets, we have Jumpstart sets, we have Secret Lair drops. So I, I love that there's more and more Magic for people to get their hands on, but that alone is a tough thing to do. There's plenty of content creators and people that have talked about product fatigue and how hard it is to follow that schedule. That release schedule makes it almost impossible to track the game that you love, whatever format of the game you play. But apparently Hasbro are starting to listen. CEO Chris Cook has said that the release schedule is going to slow down over the next couple of years. But judging by what we're seeing with current product releases um, in the midst of The Lord of the Rings and then Commander Masters later in the year, things are going to keep going and keep becoming more and more expensive. But we'll just have to see how that actually tracks. Wizards are still trying to bring everyone onto that hype train and it's still exhausting. So my advice would be don't spread yourself too thinly. I feel thin, sort of stretched like butter scraped over too much bread. Just focus on the sets and blocks that you want to make the most of. I'm gonna do that now and start talking about Lord of the Rings. So as I briefly touched on earlier, when the Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle-earth was announced as a Universes Beyond set, my ambivalence to Universes Beyond flew out of the window on the wings of the eagles and I began to get massively excited for this set. 
and I saved as much money as I could to buy as much product as I could. So any product you see in this video is purchased all with my own money. I knew that I wanted to order a couple of boxes for this set. So I purchased a set booster box and a collector booster box, as well as the gift bundle. I also purchased all four Commander decks and I purchased these for pre-order when they came out back in February of this year. Now, I knew this before the serialized versions of the human, dwarven and elven rings, as well as the one of one ring. I think it's one of the reasons that the box price is so high, given the bounty for the one ring is now around $2 million. But that's neither here nor there. The serialized cards are always going to hold more value because they're higher in rarity. And the fact that the all the cards in the set have brand new art, the reprints, all of the new cards obviously and all of the basic lands all have brand new art so the artists should and need to be compensated for their efforts so i think that's another reason why things are a little bit more expensive touching on that in relation to artist choices and that conversation particularly surrounding aragorn I'm only going to touch on this because it's not what I really want to talk about. I personally love the interpretation of all the art in this set. I think it's stunning. And that's it. It's just one interpretation that an artist has made based on a work that someone has created. There's no right or wrong. It's a hugely popular epic saga. Not everyone is going to be happy with the choices that have been made. But that doesn't mean we should get all uppity and insane about the art choices. Because let's be honest, who cares? There's a lot going on in the world right now. Let's really put things into perspective. Let's be more inclusive. Let's be more caring. Let's embrace more different backgrounds and we'll put an end to it. Let's think about the real world and representation and we'll call it a day there. I think what I'm going to go through is the four commander decks. I'm going to touch on their mechanics. I'm going to talk about their place in the color pie. I'm going to talk about potential upgrades out of the box and cards that you can take out for those upgrades. I reckon let's dive right into our first commander deck. So the first deck we're going to be looking at today is Food and Fellowship. So Food and Fellowship is all about the hobbits and the shire folk and the main themes of the deck are food token generation and life gain and the deck works in abzan colors so it's green black and white so we've got some really good token generation and life gain synergies in those colors as well so let's start by looking at the commanders then the commanders for this deck are partners. So we have Frodo Adventurous Hobbit for one white and one black. He partners with Sam Loyal Attendant. He has Vigilance and he's a legendary creature halfling scout. Whenever Frodo Adventurous Hobbit attacks, 
if you gained three or more life this turn, the ring tempts you. So the ring tempting you, just as a quick sidebar, is basically you get an emblem called the ring and it goes through four different stages of what the ring does. So I'll go through that a bit later on. Then if Frodo is your ring bearer and the ring has tempted you two or more times this game, draw a card. So you want to be getting in there with little attacks, getting the ring to tempt you if you can. So his partner, Sam Loyal Attendant, one generic, one green and one white, so three mana casting cost. Legendary creature, halfling peasant. Partner with Frodo, adventurous hobbit. At the beginning of combat on your turn, create a food token. So, so they synergize quite well together because when you sacrifice a food, you gain three life. So that ability on Frodo, if when he attacks, if he gains three or more life. So Sam and Frodo work nicely in tandem together. Activated abilities of foods you control cost one less to cast. So now the food cost isn't two and tap it to sacrifice it and then gain three life. It's one tap, sacrifice, and you gain three life. So already some really good synergies between the commanders there. The other official partner commanders in this deck are Pippin, Warden of Isengard, and Merry, Warden of Isengard. Now, personally, I would make these two cards the main commanders of the deck. And when I read their abilities, you might understand why, or otherwise I'll go into that. So, firstly, Pippin, Warden of Isengard, one green, one black. Halfling Advisor, legendary creature, obviously. Partner with Merry, Warden of Isengard. One and tap, create a food token. So again, that food synergy is there. You can also tap Pippin and sacrifice four foods. Other creatures you control get plus three, plus three and gain haste until end of turn and you can activate it only as a sorcery. So with Frodo and Sam, I think the food token generation and the synergy between the partners is really nice and it's especially on theme and flavor, but there isn't really a specific win condition there. It, you can keep generating life, of course, but it's, it's still a bit slow. So I quite like to have um, payoffs in my token decks like that. So big win cons. And I think Pippin is definitely one of them because you can generate so much food in the deck and then you can give your creatures plus three, plus three in haste, especially if you have a lot of, a lot of little creatures out, then that's gonna be a fantastic way to potentially win the game. But he partners with Merry, Warden of Isengard. Merry is one generic mana, one green and one white. He's also a legendary creature, halfling advisor. Whenever one or more artifacts enter the battlefield under your control, Create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token with lifelink. And this ability triggers only once each turn. So as you create food, you're also creating soldiers. And your soldiers have lifelink. So any life gain cards are going to be fantastic. If you can get those soldiers to be big and beefy, potentially unblockable, then you're looking at some really good synergies. There's a bit more aggression in the deck with 
the not just the food token generation but also generating those soldiers between them and we can really beef up those tokens especially with Pippin's second ability to potentially win the game a lot more quickly. Another Hobbit I want to give an honourable mention to in this deck is Bilbo Birthday Celebrant. Now in my recommended list for this deck particularly he's fun as part of the 99 but I would love to build a dedicated commander deck to him because in these colours as well the Abzan colours and with the life gain theme this deck I think would be amazing so I'll I'll read Bilbo for you. Bilbo birthday celebrant Abzan mana to cast so one white one black one green if you would gain life you gain that much life plus one instead. Okay. Two generic mana, white, black, and green. Tap and exile Bilbo. Search your library for any number of creature cards and put them onto the battlefield. Then shuffle. Activate only if you have 111 more life. So, an incredible ability that's so so powerful the caveat being you have to be at 111 or more life but I've run commander games in my life gain decks where I've definitely got to more than that and I think it's not it's not impossible you just have to really build the deck and tailor it to those life gain synergies more than the tokens but the food tokens work well because obviously when you sacrifice them you gain life but it might be a little bit slow you want some life gain with a bit more tempo for that Bilbo deck and I think it'll be fantastic so I am going to put together a list for the Bilbo deck I really want to build a big dumb idiots Bilbo list other notable includes in the deck from the card list one of them is Rosie Cotton of the South Lane she's an uncommon from the set and she is two generic mana, one white. She's a legendary creature, halfling peasant. When Rosie Cotton of the South Lane enters the battlefield, you create a food, so already very synergistic. Whenever you create a token, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control other than Rosie. So every time you're generating a food or a soldier, you're putting a one, one counter on something. So it's another way of just really beefing up your soldier tokens. Another card that I love in this deck is Sanguine Bond. It's three generic mana, black, black for an enchantment. Whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. So you can keep gaining life from the foods, you can ping different people. It just makes you more of a threat and a presence on the table, even if you don't have creatures out. Another creature, which is a brand new creature for the deck, is fantastic for flavour. It's called Feasting Hobbit. One generic mana, one green for a halfling citizen. Devour Food 3. As this enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice any number of food. The creature enters the battlefield with three times that many plus one, plus one counters on it. Huge win con here especially if you have a lot of food to sacrifice. This can be a real game-ending threat when it comes down. 
Creatures with power less than feasting hobbits power can't block it. And yeah, it's a 2-2 for 2. It starts off as a 2-2. But with that Devour Food 3, it's, fa it's a fantastic mana sink to just pour mana into the food tokens to sacrifice them to Feasting Hobbit. And you've got almost a game-ending threat right there. Another great card, which is a reprint in the set with fantastic Lord of the Rings art, is Prosperous Innkeeper. Creature Halfling Citizen, one generic mana, one green. Whenever Prosperous Innkeeper enters the battlefield, create a treasure. Again, working in the token synergies with Rosie. Um, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. So as you generate soldiers, you gain life. You know, so there's a lot more harmony, I think, between some of these great includes and Merry and Pippin as your commanders, as opposed to Frodo and Sam. Another couple of cards I love to mention from the deck that are new from the set. Farmer Cotton is one. X generic mana, green and white. Legendary creature, halfling peasant. When Farmer Cotton enters the battlefield, create X 1-1 white halfling creature tokens and X food tokens. So the X in the casting cost. So let's say you pay five, a green and a white to cast him. You create five halfling creature tokens and five food tokens. Fantastic way to widen that board and to make yourself a really big threat from one card. Really, really useful in the early game and the late game. His stats start off as a 1-1, but it's really about the widening of the board. Those are the, that's the thing that's most important. So it's an ETB trigger as well, which is an enters the battlefield trigger. It's just a nice way of really widening the board before your combat steps. And then the last card I really wanted to mention was Mirkwood Bats. Mirkwood Bats is three generic mana and a black. If you've been following the Lord of the Rings Commander updates, you'll know that this card is insanely powerful, especially for a common. It's a creature bat, it has flying. Whenever you create or sacrifice a token, each opponent loses one life. So you put that together with Sanguine Bond, you're draining life from your opponents, but that's whenever you create or sacrifice, you're pinging every opponent for one life. So you can really go to work even without too many creatures on the board. But also it has evasion in flying. So it's always a useful little attacker as well. And especially for four mana for a two, three, it's, it's got good stats. And that ability alone is insane. Now I'm gonna go into a few additions I'm gonna to make to the deck. A standard with any token deck, this card I think is a must. It's Academy Manufacturer, and it's three generic mana. It's an artifact creature, assembly worker. If you would create a clue, food, or treasure, create one of each instead. So if you create a food, you're also getting a clue, a food, and a treasure. So your mana can get out of hand incredibly quickly with the treasures. Clues can be sacrificed to draw cards, so you're getting a good card draw engine online as well. And with the food, you've just got more food tokens, more life gain, more synergies with the cards in the deck. 
The second card I would add is another card with great flavor. It's not from the Lord of the Rings set, but it's Master MasterChef. And he's two generic mana, one black, one green. For a legendary creature, a troll warrior with trample. At the beginning of your end step, create a number of food tokens equal to the number of non-token creatures you had enter the battlefield under your control this turn. So that's the starting ability. So the more creatures you put out, which is easy in this deck, there's quite a number of low drops, the curve's pretty low. So you just throw out a ton of creatures, put Giomi down, you've instantly got three, four, five, six foods. One generic sacrifice of food, target creature gains indestructible until end of turn and tap it. So a fantastic way of protecting your creatures as well. Another one I definitely include is Idol of Oblivion. It's two generic mana and it's an artifact. Tap it, draw a card, activate only if you created a token this turn. You're gonna be creating tokens all day. And if you have an untap engine, you can just keep untapping it, keep drawing cards. The final ability you're never going to use, but it's eight generic mana and tap it, sacrifice Idol of Oblivion and create a 10-10 Eldrazi creature token. So it does have another piece of utility if you're feeling really desperate and vulnerable, your board's looking very light, but you've got a load of tokens you can sacrifice. Another include I definitely recommend having is Inspiring Leader. Two generic, one white for a legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have creature tokens you control get plus two plus two. So inbuilt into Merry and Pippin's ability would be creature tokens you control get plus two plus two. Which for the amount of tokens we're going to be making, especially those 1-1 soldiers, fantastic synergy with that and enchantment removal in commander is played but it's definitely played a lot less than creature removal is so if you've got this enchantment out quite likely it's going to stick around for a while and really help your board presence the next card i would include is jahira friend of the forest she's two and a green for a legendary creature human elf druid Tokens you control have tap to add one green mana. So all of your tokens then become green mana, which is insane because you've instantly got loads of tokens that you're generating. If you're using Academy Manufacturer, you're generating three. Every token you control has tap to add green mana. So you can just ramp out straight away. And the fact that Jahira is also a two, three, it's a good body that will stick around, especially through the early game. She can do so much work. And the last card I'd like to include is Mondrak Glory Dominus. So Mondrak is two generic and two white mana for a legendary creature Phyrexian Horror. If one or more tokens would be created under your control, twice that many of those tokens are created instead. So again, a huge boost on all the tokens we're creating especially with Academy Manufacturer, we're already creating three tokens. You're creating six because you double everything. Mondrak also has another ability, which is one generic and two Phyrexian mana. So for every Phyrexian mana, you lose two life. 
sacrifice two other artifacts and or creatures and put an indestructible counter on Mondrak. So Mondrak can gain indestructible and protect itself as well. So you're always gonna have some incredible token generation around for when you need it. So what would I remove from the deck? Well, there's a few cards that can be easily replaced for those six that I've just gone over. So Butterbur Breeing Keeper, all he does really is a 3-3 body for four that generates one food. I think for the synergy, there's just other better cards you can have. There's Eagles of the North, which has flying and plane cycling. And yes, while the evasion is useful, it's six mana. And in this deck, you want quite a low mana curve. And you don't really need the land cycling with that low mana curve. So quite a few of the other cards that I'm taking out have land cycling. So Eagles of the North would be the first one to take out. Generous Ent would be the second one. Again, he's a good blocker with reach, uh, and he's a 5-7, but again, he's six mana, five and a green. He's quite expensive on the curve, and for the tempo, you just don't really need it. Landraval Horizon Witness is another card I take out. Again, a card with flying, but if you're making your tokens really big and beefy and you're generating a lot of tokens and can rebuild quickly, and we can put indestructible counters on things. It's, I just don't see that the flying and the more expensive cards here are relevant. So Landraval Horizon Witness is four and a white. So again, high on the curve for a three, four flyer, but we don't really need it. Um, Orchard Strider is another, again, quite expensive. Four and two green for a six, four tree folk who has land cycling. And it's, again, a big boy, but we don't necessarily need him to, to get the job done, given the generation of tokens we're going for. And then the last card that I would remove is Revive the Shire, which is one in a green. Return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand and create a food. So for sorcery speed, this card doesn't really have the payoff. It's a little bit slow, we're not going, we don't need more ways now with those other includes to find ways of generating tokens just to return a card from the graveyard to your hand at sorcery speed. There's just better utility cards in the deck to do that. Now we're going to move on to the next deck, which is Riders of Rohan. So the Riders of Rohan deck is a Jeskai deck, so it's white, red, and blue for its main color identity. And again, it has a token sub-theme and also a monarch sub-theme. The face commander of the deck is Eowyn Shield Maiden, and she is two generic mana, one blue, one red, one white, for a legendary creature human knight with first strike. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if another human entered the battlefield under your control this turn, create two 2-2 two, two red human knight creature tokens with trample and haste. Then if you control six or more humans, draw a card. So for this deck, I would definitely look to build around Eowyn and her abilities. 
First Strike is a fantastic ability to have on your commander, just because you can get in for that damage before that secondary damage step. And then if a human enters the battlefield, this deck is effectively human tribal, plus there's a token generation theme, so you can generate human tokens. Create two 2-2 red human knight creatures with trample and haste. So every time a human enters the battlefield, you create those two knights with trample and haste. This deck goes wide and aggressive incredibly quickly. And she even has a card draw engine attached to her. So I would always go for making her the commander in this deck. So I wanna start by mentioning some of the fantastic includes that are already in the deck. So the first is Aemer, King of Rohan. He's three generic mana, one red and one white for a legendary creature human noble with double strike. Aemer, King of Rohan enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each other human you control. So already synergizing with Eowyn and her going wide ability. When Aemer enters the battlefield, target player becomes the monarch, and Aemer deals damage equal to its power to any target. So if you've got five or six humans out, Aemer comes down as an 8-8, you become the monarch, and he deals damage to any target, so that can be player or creature. Fantastic second ability there. Another great card to mention is Faramir, Steward of Gondor. He's one generic, one white and one blue for a legendary creature human noble. So again, human noble relevant to, to the deck. Whenever a legendary creature with mana value four or greater enters the battlefield under your control, you become the monarch. So you get rewarded for playing big, beefy boys. Always love that. At the beginning of your end step, if you're the monarch, create two one one white human creature tokens. Again, fantastic ability. Two, two for three, the stats are quite good as well, plus those abilities, fantastic include in the deck. So there are some fantastic reprints in this deck, particularly for the Humans Matter tribal theme. One is Herald's Horn, fantastic reprint, which is three generic mana for an artifact. As Herald's Horn enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creature spells you cast of the chosen type cost one less to cast. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. If it's a creature card of the chosen type, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. So again, great card filtration and a card draw engine built around the fact that everything becomes cheaper. Another awesome reprint is Vanquish's Banner which is five generic mana for an artifact. As Vanquish's banner enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures you control of the chosen type get plus one, plus one. Instantly beefing up your soldiers, making them a bit less susceptible to cheap removal. Always a fantastic way to go. Whenever you cast a creature spell of the chosen type, draw a card. So again, another great way of getting that card filtration and card draw engine going. It's also a fantastic reprint. We haven't seen it in a set for a while, so it's nice to see it. The last reprint that's, again, another artifact is fantastic for this deck. Door of Destinies, 
for generic mana. As Door of Destinies enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Whenever you cast a spell of the chosen type, put a charge counter on Door of Destinies. Creatures you control of the chosen type get plus one plus one for each counter on Door of Destinies. So if you get this out turn four in the early game, you can keep putting those charge counters on, keep going, keep going, keep going, especially with the amount of humans we have. And all your soldiers and those tokens will enter with plus one, plus one counters for each charge counter. So potentially you can get them plus four, plus five and overrun your opponents incredibly quickly. In terms of creature reprints, there is a fantastic one in this deck, Combat Celebrant, the bane of people's lives as a small attacking creature. Combat Celebrant is two generic mana and one red for a creature human warrior. If Combat Celebrant hasn't been exerted this turn, you may exert it as it attacks. When you do, untap all other creatures you control and after this phase there is an additional combat phase. Amazing, especially with a go wide deck like this. Anything where you can put in extra combat steps, huge win, especially for the size those tokens are going to be and the amount of humans you're going to have to attack with. Then in terms of other new cards from the set, which are stunning in flavor and mechanics, Torn from the Rampart is definitely one. Three generic mana, one white, one red for a sorcery. Goad all creatures your opponents control. Until your next turn, those creatures can't block. So when you goad, it means creatures have to attack, but they can't attack you. So it's a great way of politicking with your opponents. Also, the fact that those creatures can't block means you can swing in for damage at all of your opponents and the creatures can't block. Amazing versatility really strong card in a go-wide deck like this. Another really notable creature is Beragond of the Guard. He's three generic mana and one white for a legendary creature human soldier. Whenever Beragond of the Guard or another human enters the battlefield under your control, creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain vigilance till end of turn. Vigilance incredibly useful as well for blocking, as well as attacking, but the plus one, plus one counters you're picking up, fantastic versatility, definite include, and he's a three, three as well, so on for four mana and those abilities, fantastic include in this deck. Bastion Protector is another fantastic include in this deck, two generic mana, one white for a creature human soldier. Commander creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and have indestructible. A great way to protect Eowyn and to keep her safe. And she gets plus two, plus two, so she'd become a seven, six, fantastic utility, and a great way of helping your commander to stick around and keep creating those two, two human knights. In terms of additions for this deck, we want to get to those good cards, so I've picked a couple of card draw spells to start us off with. The first one is Distant Melody. It's three generic mana and one blue for a sorcery. You choose a creature type, humans. Draw a card for each permanent you control of that type. Fantastic when you've got a few tokens and a few creatures out. It means we can get our card draw engine going. 
potentially find some ways to protect our creatures as well if the opponents are starting to gather momentum. Really good include in this. The other card spell you could include is one called Mass Appeal. It's two generic mana and one blue for a sorcery. Draw a card for each human you control. So that one you can't choose the creature type, but you just have a card draw for each human you control. Slightly cheaper in cost than Distant Melody, so that's definitely an advantage for an include. And as you're drawing for humans, fantastic way of drawing a lot of cards. Creature includes, I'd definitely include Thalia's Lieutenant, which is one generic mana and one white for a creature human soldier. When Thalia's Lieutenant enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on each other human you control. So straight away, even useful in the late game. When you have a load of humans out, Thalia's Lieutenant comes down, each of them get a plus one plus one counter. Whenever another human enters the battlefield under your control, put a 1-1 counter on Thalia's Lieutenant. This card gets out of hand incredibly quickly. It's only a 1-1 for two, but with that ability, when you keep casting more and more humans and creating more and more human tokens, this card gets big very, very quickly. The next card I'd include would be Adriana, Captain of the Guard. It's Three generic mana, one red and one white for a legendary creature human knight with melee. And melee is a bit of an underused mechanic, but fantastic in a deck like this. Whenever this creature attacks, it gets a plus one, plus one counter until end of turn for each opponent you attacked this combat. So if you really want to dish that damage out, attack each of your three opponents. It's going plus three, plus three right off the bat. She's a 4-4, so she'd become a 7-7. All other creatures you control also have melee. So each one triggers separately as well. So it can be a very, very big threat, especially late in the game when you've got a wide board with a lot of creatures on. Coppercoat Vanguard is a great include here as well. One generic mana, one white for a creature human soldier. Each other human you control gets plus one, plus O, and has ward one. Ward as a cost is a fantastic way of limiting your opponent. So whenever it becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter it when that player pays one. So, you know, you can basically protect your creatures, which is fantastic, especially on a small utility. It's a two, two for two. Really great in the early game as well. An absolute white old star here for the next one, Hero of Bladehold, two generic mana, two white. For a creature human knight with battle cry, when this creature attacks, each other attacking creature gets plus one, plus O till end of turn. Whenever Hero of Bladehold attacks, create two one one white soldier creature tokens that are tapped and attacking. This can get out of hand very quickly, especially with that extra utility. And if we're trying to buff those soldiers, fantastic. Really good include in this deck. And it's a three, four for four, really good stats, nice and beefy right off the bat. Another card we can think to include is Blade Historian. So you can either pay four red or four white for this card because it's got hybrid mana. 
It's a creature human cleric. Attacking creatures you control have double strike. So once we have our big soldiers and we can get them tapped and attacking, they all have double strike. So we're dealing double the amount of damage for each one. And with all the counters and things that we're adding, fantastic way of really making our army a nice big threat. So now for the cards I'd take out. I'd take out all the cards based more around the Monarch sub-theme, just because it's a little bit clunky in this deck when you're really focusing on tokens. So the second commander in the deck is supposed to be Aragorn, King of Gondor. He is a solid 4-4 for 4 with Vigilance and Lifelink but he's too focused around being the Monarch and there are other token generations and human creatures that we can put in that will do a better job than he would. So I'd look to remove Aragorn, King of Gondor first. Court of Aya is an enchantment for three generic mana and two red, which basically focuses on you becoming the Monarch. And it is a way of dealing damage, but I just don't think the Monarch focus cards without the token utility like Faramir has are worth the inclusion. Fiend Hunter, as much as I love that card, I would look to take it out. It's one generic mana and two white. And yes, it's spot creature removal, but it's just not really worth it, I don't think, in this deck, considering the other includes that we've put in. Denethor Stoneseer is another new card from the set that focuses on becoming the Monarch and scrying. Just not really quite geared to what we're looking to do with the deck the way that we've refined it. Fealty to the Realm is an interesting enchantment for four generic and a blue, which makes you the Monarch, but also the Monarch controls the enchanted creature that the enchantment goes on. It's just a bit too cute and a bit too off-brand for it to be properly relevant in this deck. And the last card I'd take out would be Dearly Departed, which is four generic mana and two white. Now, it's a spirit, so it doesn't quite fit into our human tribal theme, but it does create humans, and they enter with 1-1 counters on them. So it is a good anthem for our humans, but at six mana, it's a little bit too expensive on the curve side. And it's just without having the synergy of being a human itself, it kind of takes away its own utility. That was the deck run through of Riders of Rohan. Let's go on to the next one. So the next deck we're going to be looking at is Elven Council. Elven Council has a scry theme and it also has a voting matters sub theme. So it makes it really interesting for those political games that we go into. The face commander for this deck is Galadriel Elven Queen. She's a legendary creature elf noble. She's two generic mana, one blue and one green for a 4-5 with Will of the Council. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if another elf entered the battlefield under your control this turn, starting with you, each player votes for Dominion or Guidance. If Dominion gets more votes, the ring tempts you. 
Then you put a 1-1 counter on your ring bearer. If guidance gets more votes or the vote is tied, draw a card. So Galadriel has a nice uh, card draw engine attached to her. She buffs your creatures, which is always nice in an elf deck because elves tend to have a low mana curve and a, and a low power and toughness and a lower cost. So definitely a good way of buffing up your creatures. Personally, with this deck, I would make the second commander the face commander, and he's Elrond of the White Council. Three generic mana, one green and one blue for a legendary creature elf noble with secret council. When Elrond of the White Council enters the battlefield, each player secretly votes for fellowship or aid. Then those votes are revealed. For each fellowship vote, the voter chooses a creature they control. You gain control of each creature chosen this way and they gain this creature can't attack its owner. Then for each aid vote, put a 1-1 counter on each creature you control. So I just think for that utility of being able to take people's stuff is always fun. It means with the votes you can kind of politic a little bit and manipulate things. There are some really cool new cards and flavorful cards that have come in in this deck. One of them is Galadrim Ambush. It's three generic mana and one green for an instant. Create X 1-1 green elf creature tokens where X is the number of attacking creatures. So really good way of almost doubling your elves. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn by non-elf creatures. Fantastic way of protecting all your stuff. Really, really good include in this deck. I've included Haldir, Lorien Lieutenant, because Haldir is one of my favorite characters from Lord of the Rings. He is X mana and one green for a legendary creature elf soldier. Haldir Lorien Lieutenant enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it and has vigilance. Five generic mana and one green. Until end of turn, other elves you control gain vigilance and get plus one plus one for each plus one plus one counter on Haldir. So the reason I like this Haldir includes so much is because it's Haldir and also because he's he gives an anthem to all your other elves so he's already you know having a lot of useful utility if he sticks around just making your elves a bit more beefy and giving them a bit more of a board presence it wouldn't be a Lord of the Rings elf deck without Legolas and this version of Legolas is a particularly good one Legolas Greenleaf Two generic mana, one green, for a legendary creature elf archer with reach. Legolas Greenleaf can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. It's a pretty good start. Whenever another legendary creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Legolas Greenleaf. Sets full of legendary creatures. Whenever a legend enters the battlefield, he gets plus one, plus one, so instantly buffing him up to make him bigger. And with reach, that's fantastic against decks that are playing a lot of flying evasion. Whenever Legolas Greenleaf deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So he also has great utility for drawing cards. Not quite the best Legolas in the set, but certainly a very, very useful include here. Definitely one to, to make the most of while you can. 
There are some fantastic notable reprints in this set as well, particularly Instants and Sorceries, a couple of my favourites ever printed in Magic here. One of which is Heroic Intervention, one generic mana, one green for an instant. Permanence you control, gain Hexproof and Indestructible until end of turn. Great that this is seeing a reprint. It's been incredibly expensive for a long time and is a fantastic utility card in green. And it's included in this deck, so definitely worth picking up just for that alone. Another one of my favorite spells of all time in Magic, Mystic Confluence. Three generic mana and two blue for an instant. Choose three. You may choose the same mode more than once. Counter target spell unless its controller pays three. Return target creature to its owner's hand and draw a card. Incredible instant spell, fantastic include. One of the best counter spells now in the format. Swan Song, one blue mana for an instant. Counter target enchantment, instant or sorcery. Its controller creates a 2-2 blue bird creature token with flying. Amazing counter spell, counters a lot of different things. Enchantment removal is very important. It's good that it's got that tagged onto instants and sorceries. Fantastic reprint. It's been, again, really expensive for a long time. So it's good to have it back. Another creature include, which is kind of hilarious to me, I just really enjoy this card, it's Colossal Whale. Five generic mana and two blue for a creature whale with Island Walk. Whenever Colossal Whale attacks, you may exile target creature defending player controls until Colossal Whale leaves the battlefield. Snap removal on a creature, it's a really big boy, it's a 5-5. Yes, it's seven mana in the elf deck, but it's a big threat and it's always fun to see it in a set. And in this one, in this deck, it's no different. So a really nice include there. Cards I'd look to add to this deck, there's five in particular. So there's the Party Tree, which is also the Great Henge, which is seven generic mana and two green for a legendary artifact. This spell costs X less to cast, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. You can tap it to add two green mana and gain two life. Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on it and draw a card. Fantastic utility in green. Normally you can make this pretty cheap if you've beefed up some of your creatures. And to tap it to gain two mana and every time you do you gain two life. It's a fantastic way of keeping out of reach of your opponent's big creatures knowing you can tap it to gain life all the time. And whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield, put a 1-1 counter on it. Just makes your elves a little bit safer and a little bit bigger and you get card draw, which in green is fantastic for your game tempo. The second card I definitely look to include is a great budget option, especially for a voting matters deck. Illusion of choice, one blue for an instant. You choose how each player votes this turn. So with Elrond, fantastic utility. And then you draw a card. So you can manipulate votes and draw cards are oh, the politics, so much fun. Another include in any elf deck, Marwyn the Nurturer. Two generic, one green for a legendary creature elf druid. Whenever another elf enters the battlefield under your control, put a 1-1 counter on Marwyn. Again, having this out with the Great Henge, 
she adds up so quickly. You can tap her to add an amount of green mana equal to Marwyn's power. Again, a great mana sink, and you can keep buffing her up, you can keep playing elves and making elves. Stunning card to have in this deck. Next include is Rishkar Pima Renegade, two generic mana and one green for a legendary creature elf druid. When Rishkar Pima Renegade enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. So you're just putting counters on loads of stuff. Each creature you control with a counter on it has tap it to add green mana. So again, another way of making all your creatures tap for mana so you can convoke in loads of things. Convoking is where you can tap creatures as part of the cost. But this is just an automatic convoke without having to have it. All your creatures become mana dorks and tap for a green mana. Really good utility, especially in an elf deck in the early game. And of course, no, Simic deck really would be complete without Ristic Study. Two generic mana, one blue for an enchantment. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, you may draw a card unless that player pays one. Fantastic card draw, great utility. One of the best card draw spells in Magic. Fantastic. Really, really good to have in a Simic deck, especially one where you want to generate all your elves very quickly. You want to generate your mana quickly. Ristic Study. Great for tempo, great for card draw and selection. Fantastic include in this deck. Cards I'd look to take out then. So the second commander in this deck is Gandalf Westward Voyager. He's three generic mana for a green and blue. I would look to take him out because he cares about big dumb idiots um, and he's not an elf and we're looking at kind of an elf tribal with a voting sub-theme with Elrond as the commander. So I just don't think he fits with the deck at all, so I'd take him out. Mirror of Galadriel is a two-mana artifact which cares about scrying. Again, it's a little bit slow, and when we're going voting an elf tribal as more of our theme, there are better cards we can include. Opt for one blue mana instant scry one draw card. Yes, it has good card drawing utility, but I don't think it's essential given the other things we have in the deck to include. Radagast Wizard of the Wilds cares too much about birds and beasts, not about elves. So he'd be one I would definitely look to take out, just not quite synergistic enough and a bit too big as a three, five for four mana. Song of Erendil is a saga, which again is quite expensive. Three generic, a blue and a green, and it cares more about birds and scrying. While yes, it does give your creatures flying, the evasion here is not really relevant for the amount of mana that you're spending, I don't think. So I would look to take that one out as well. So that is Elven Council done and dusted. The last deck we're looking at today is ba -ba -ba -ba, the Hosts of Mordor. The Hosts of Mordor, I've left the villains of the piece till last. Hosts of Mordor has a sacrifice, reanimate and a mass theme. So 
we're looking at Grixis colours, so blue, black and red. This deck is definitely the one with the most mechanics to take advantage of and has the most kind of steps to take on each turn. So if you're a beginner player looking to get into it, this is probably the most complicated deck to play, but also one of the most rewarding. Our commander for this deck is Sauron, Lord of the Rings. Five generic mana, one blue, one black, and one red for a legendary creature avatar horror. When you cast this spell, amass orcs five. So amassing is where you create a zero zero orc or zombie army, and then you put that amount of plus one plus one counters on the army. So if you don't have an army, you create one with five plus one plus one counters. And if you do already have an army out, you add five counters to it and it becomes an orc army. Mill five cards, fantastic in the reanimate theme. Then return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Sauron also has trample. And whenever a commander an opponent controls dies, the ring tempts you. Personally, I love the commander. I think it's doing a lot for eight mana and it's only on cast. So if it gets countered, you still get to amass five, you still get to mill five, you still get to return a creature card from the graveyard to the battlefield because it's a cast trigger. And the second commander is Saruman the White Hand. He's one generic, one blue, one black, and one red for a legendary creature avatar wizard. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, amass orcs X, where X is that spell's mana value. So whenever you're casting a spell that isn't a creature, you're amassing that many orcs. So you're creating big armies very, very quickly. Goblins and orcs you control have ward two. So just as an extra cost, you protect your armies with that ward cost. I think either commander you could run perfectly happily. If you wanted to focus more on the amass theme and the spell slinging side of things, Saruman would be a good one to run because he's a bit cheaper, so you can get him out on the battlefield more readily. But Sauron is a big powerhouse and people know when that cast trigger comes, it's dangerous. And there are ways that we can make the commander cheaper and there are a lot of spells to play around with in the deck before we even get to Sauron. So as a massive payoff, great commander, really good fun to play. Let's start then by going over the new cards that have been included in this deck. In the Darkness Bind Them is a saga for two generic, one blue, one black and one red. Steps one, two and three. Create a 3-3 black wraith creature token with menace and the ring tempts you. So already with that saga you get the ring to tempt you three times, which is a fantastic upside and you get to create creatures. And then the fourth chapter, for each opponent you gain control of up to one target creature that player controls until end of turn. Untap those creatures, they gain haste and the ring tempts you. So you get from this saga you get the ring tempting you to its maximum level because there are four levels on the ring tempts you. So what is the ring tempts you and what are its four levels? As the ring tempts you, you get your emblem name the ring if you don't have one. 
then your emblem gains its next ability and you choose a creature you control to become your ring bearer. So your ring bearer then becomes a legendary creature. The ring can tempt you even if you don't control a creature. The ring gains its abilities in order from top to bottom and once it gains an ability it has that ability for the rest of the game. Each time the ring tempts you, you must choose a creature if you control one to be your ring bearer and it can be the same creature multiple times in a row. Each player can only have one emblem named the ring and only one ring bearer at a time. The four abilities starting at the beginning. So the first time the ring tempts you, your ring bearer is legendary and can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. Second ability, whenever your ring bearer attacks, draw a card and discard a card so you get to loot and you get a bit of card filtration. Whenever your ring bearer becomes blocked by a creature, that creature's controller sacrifices it at the end of combat. Really good useful utility to have. Really good deterrent from people from blocking your creatures, means you're going to get more damage in. Whenever your ring bearer deals combat damage to a player, each opponent loses three life so you can instantly start pinging people for life. And when you get to the bottom ability, you still have all of the other abilities and you'll keep all four abilities for the rest of the game. So you never lose them once you get them. Only slight flavor disappointment from my perspective is that there is no downside to the ring tempting you. It's all upside. But from a player mechanic perspective, I do understand it because it means, you know, people are more likely to play the ring tempts you cards and it helps new players get into the game without feeling dispirited about having a downside to their cards. So I completely get it. Just for me personally, it is a slight flavor loss. Alrighty, so now we know what the ring tempts you does. Lord of the Nazgul is the next one I wanted to include. Three generic mana, one blue and one black for a legendary creature, Wraith Noble. I wanted to build a Wraith sub-theme into this deck and to make it more flavorful to add the ring wraiths and you'll see with some of my other includes later on. Lord of the Nazgul has flying. Wraiths you control have protection from ring bearers. Very useful ability to have. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create a 3-3 black wraith creature token with menace. Then if you control nine or more wraiths, wraiths you control have power and toughness 9-9 until end of turn. So cool for the flavor. Love that you get nine ring wraiths and when you control the nine, they become nine nines. Fantastic ability. Shelob Dreadweaver is a great include in this deck. She's three generic and one black for a legendary creature, Spider Demon. Sounds harrowing. Whenever a non-token creature an opponent controls dies, exile it. Two generic and one black. Put a creature card exiled with Shelob Dreadweaver into its owner's graveyard. Put two plus one plus one counters on Shelob and draw a card. So a really good way of dealing with creatures, getting rid of them and making Shelob more of a threat. Shelob also has another ability. X generic, one generic and a black. Put target creature card with mana value X exiled with Shelob onto the battlefield tapped under your control. 
fantastic way of utilising other creatures, getting some threats, protecting your board until you can bring Sauron out. Great utility, fantastic flavour as well, exiling creatures. Oh, love it. Next fantastic new include is Summons of Saruman. X generic, one blue and one red for a sorcery. Amass Orcs X. Mill X cards. You may cast an instant or sorcery with mana value X or less from among them without paying its mana cost. And you can also flash it back for three generic, one blue and a red. Exile X, X cards from your graveyard. Fantastic utility in this card. A sorcery with flashback is always great because it means you can cast it multiple times. It's always a good mechanic to have, especially in things with reanimate. A really good way of getting cards into the graveyard for reanimator targets as well. And you just get to make big fat orcs. Always fun. And the last great include that's not a reprint here, the Balrog of Moria. Four generic, two black, one red for a legendary creature avatar demon with trample and haste. When the Balrog of Moria dies, you may exile it. When you do, for each opponent, exile up to one target creature that player controls. It also has cycling for three and a red, and when you cycle the Balrog, you create two treasure tokens. So you cycle it, you put it back, you, you get rid of it. It's great to reanimate so you can bring it back. Has Trample and Haste, it's an 8-8, it's a huge boy and a fantastic utility. You get to just get rid of cards and attack in straight away. Brilliant for the flavour as well. Brilliant for the flavour when you cycle it. Fantastic. Notable reprints in this deck, I've included two. One is Anger, three generic, one red for a creature incarnation with haste. And as long as Anger is in the graveyard and you control a mountain, creatures you control have haste. Fantastic way of getting all your big armies to just have haste and swing in straight away for big damage. And we finally got a reprint of Reanimate. One black for a sorcery. Put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control and you lose life equal to its converted mana cost. Reanimate hasn't been reprinted for a long time, so it's a lovely one to see in here and a fantastic component in this deck. In terms of the additions to the deck, I've put in more than I've removed, but you can kind of choose what direction you want to take the deck in with these includes. Um, some of them I'd say are staples and some of them are optional. So with Hosts of Mordor, I wanted to make it a bit more thematic. So I've included orcs and wraiths as, as part of that to just really make it as flavorful as possible. The first card I wanted to include was Maurahur, Uruk High Captain. It's a legendary creature orc soldier with menace. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put onto an army, goblin or orc you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on it instead. So a really good early way to beef up your creatures. It's a two, two for two, and it gives you something low to the ground to protect you while you build up a bigger board state. The next card is one of the most powerful cards in the format and will be a staple if it's not banned first. Orcish Bowmasters, one generic, one black for a creature orc archer with flash. 
When Orcish Bowmasters enters the battlefield and whenever opponent draws a card except the first one they drew each turn, Orcish Bowmasters deals one damage to any target and then you amass Orcs one. This card is ridiculous. It's a fantastic include in this deck and it's fantastic in Commander in general. It's going to be a staple in the format for years to come, provided it doesn't get banned first because of that amazing utility. The next one I'd look to include would be the Book of Mazabul, which is a saga for two generic and one red. Amass Orcs 1 for the first chapter. Second chapter, Amass Orcs 2. Third chapter, Creatures You Control get plus 1, plus 0 and gain Menace. Again, a really good, nice way to really beef up your armies and to make sure that they're constantly a threat. The next card I'd look to include would be the Ring Wraiths. Ring Wraiths, four generic mana and two black for a creature Wraith Knight. No, it's not legendary. When Ring Wraiths enters the battlefield, target creature an opponent controls gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. If that creature was legendary, its controller loses three life. When the ring tempts you, return Ring Wraiths from your graveyard to your hand. Fantastic recursion, great flavour in the three wraiths chasing the hobbits through the Shire. Fantastic potential removal for a minus three, minus three. And if it's a legendary creature, losing three life. Great utility, great for the wraith sub-theme that we're looking to put into this deck. The next include I'd look to make is Sauron, the Dark Lord. For three generic, one blue, one black, and one red, he's a legendary creature avatar horror. With ward, sacrifice a legendary artifact or legendary creature. Fantastic flavour. Really powerful ability as well. Whenever an opponent costs a spell, amass orcs one. Really feeding into that amass mechanic, and whenever an opponent casts any spell. So you're always ticking up that army. Whenever an army you control deals combat damage to a player, the ring tempts you. Whenever the ring tempts you, you may discard your hand, and if you do, draw four cards. Great for reanimation, great for milling, great for card filtration, really powerful ability. He's a 7-6 for 6. Very, very powerful card and can get out of hand super quickly. Can be used as a bit of a distraction to make sure that your opponents focus their energy on him, not on your armies. Very, very good include in this deck. These next includes, and they focus particularly on the amass mechanics more than anything else, because I think that's one of the most powerful mechanics that we can utilize in this deck. So next we have Assault on Asgiliath. It's X generic mana and three red for a sorcery. Amass Orcs X. Then Goblins and Orcs you control gain double strike and haste until end of turn. Huge way to make a threat. Yes, it's sorcery speed, but I think at instant it will be far too powerful. It means your opponents really are put on the back foot and have to deal with this, especially if your Orcs are big, beefy boys. So the next include I'd make would be Dunlan Crabane. 
Two generic mana and one black for a bird horror with flying. When it enters the battlefield, amass orcs two. So it's a 1-1 one, one flyer for three, yes, but it does bring the two power onto the board in amass. So you've got a creature with a little bit of evasion. It's a nice early pinger or an early blocker. Plus you have your army on the ground as well. The next one I'd go for would be Foray of Orcs. It's three generic mana and one red for a sorcery. Amass Orcs 2. When you do, Foray of Orcs deals X damage to target creature and opponent controls where X is the amassed army's power. So a great fight card and removal spell for these colours. Great for your Orcs. Like a really nice kind of fight spell. You can target creatures, get things off the board so you can swing in with your big threat. Next one, Gothmog, Morgul Lieutenant. Three and a black for a legendary creature human soldier. Yes, he's a human. However, when Gothmog enters the battlefield, amass orcs one. Creature tokens you control have death touch. So it instantly makes your armies a huge threat with that death touch. People can't block them without creatures dying. Really good and subtle threat for your army. The next include I'd make would be Grond, the Gatebreaker. Grond, 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 Grond. Three generic, one black for a legendary artifact vehicle with Trample. As long as it's your turn and you control an army, Grond, the Gatebreaker, is an artifact creature. Crew three. So... He's a 5-5 with Trample, really big body, especially for 4 mana. And it's an artifact creature as long as you have an army, which is great because it means most of the time you'll have an army out so you don't have to worry about the crew cost. Really nice inclusion, great for the flavour as well. The next one I'd go for would be Nazgul. Now there are 9 different arts for the Nazgul and that's relevant not only in flavour terms because of the nine wraiths but also because of the card's mechanics. So I'll go through those now. Nazgul, two generic, one black for a creature wraith knight with death touch. When Nazgul enters the battlefield the ring tempts you. Whenever the ring tempts you put a 1-1 one, one counter on each wraith you control. A deck can have up to nine cards named the Nazgul. So you can keep putting counters on them for each wraith. They become bigger and bigger. There's, you can have up to nine of them. So you can select how many you want to put in depending on what the other cards are. Fantastic flavor, really good include, I think, especially for bodies that are low to the ground. Yes, there are one, two, but with the other wraith cards and wraith tribal cards that we're looking to add, we can make the most of them being low to the ground and being our protection to start with before we make our bigger plays later on. And the last card I'd look to include would be March from the Black Gate. It's one generic mana and one black for an enchantment. When March from the Black Gate enters the battlefield and whenever an army you control attacks, amass orcs one. Really good low drop early on in the game, really nice way of getting that army nice and big gives you an impetus to keep on attacking. Fantastic include, especially in the early game. So I've included quite a lot of cards there, but merely for the selection 
for you for your flavour purposes and what you want the deck to do. Cards I definitely look to remove from this deck are all quite big high mana drops as I'd prefer to have something a little bit lower to the curve. So I'd look to remove Null Spine Dragon, 7 mana 7-5 with flying and a wheel effect attached to it so I can discard my hand if I want to. It's just too big and yes discarding a hand is great for reanimation but by the time you get to 7 mana what targets you have to reanimate you probably will have already done so. It's just a bit too big and clunky for what the deck is trying to do in my opinion. The next card I'd like to remove is Merciless Executioner. Yes, it's a low drop, but a 3-1 for 3, it's really susceptible to removal. And the sacrificing one creature to potentially reanimate just doesn't really, just doesn't do it for me. It's not quite the card I want at that low drop slot. I'd rather have Dunlan Crabane in there that just provides more power on the board for me. Monstrosity of the Lake is the next one. Four generic, one blue for the legendary creature Kraken. It just takes a lot of mana to sink into this to make it worth it. And island, island cycling, while it is quite a useful utility, I just don't think it's required. And especially on a very high drop card, not for me this one. I'd look to remove it. The next one I'd take out would be Rampaging War Mammoth. It's seven mana. Yes, it's got Trample and Cycling, but at an X cost. And yes, it does destroy artifacts, but for seven mana or whatever the Cycling cost is, it just doesn't really seem worth it, even for a body that size. Quite cumbersome, even though it's got good utility. Too big. And the last card I'd look to take out would be Siege Gang Commander. Now, I love Siege Gang Commander. It's been a staple in Magic for a long time. And it has good goblin synergies and can create creature tokens. So while Siege Gang has a lot of utility, the Amass cards and cards specifically targeted towards the Amass mechanic, I think are just more useful in the deck that I'm trying to build. So unfortunately, Siege Gang is a card I would remove as well. And that's it guys, that is the hosts of Mordor all wrapped up and that's a wrap on all four Commander decks. In the next episode of Brews and Brews, I'm going to be talking about my experience of MagicCon Barcelona, as I'm getting to go to a MagicCon for the first time. And hopefully you guys can join me for that and I haven't put you to sleep like Merry and Pippin by Treebeard. I just wanted to, again, give you guys a massive shout out and say a huge, huge thank you to all of you for tuning into the podcast. I would love you guys to get in touch with me. So if you're listening on Substack, feel free to leave me a comment on the episode. If you're watching on YouTube, feel free to comment down below. And I'd really appreciate it if you shared the video with someone that you think would enjoy it as well. You can always DM me on Instagram. And you can send me an email from the Instagram as well. So I'm always willing and I'd love, I'd love, in fact, to hear from all of you. To keep up with the latest episodes, don't forget the Substack, Brews and Brews, all one word, .substack.com. YouTube, youtube.com forward slash at 
bruise underscore and underscore bruise and the Instagram handle at bruise underscore and underscore bruise. I've also put a link to any artist's work I've used in the description below, so please go and check those artists out. I've also put a link to Round Hill Roastery in the show notes or the description as well, so please go and check out their coffee. All right, I think that's it from us team. A huge thank you again for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys in the next one. Take care. Now the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we always take. The grey rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. What? Gandalf. See what? Second breakfast. <laughs>